Welcome to the Living Faith Missionary Church Podcast. You're about to listen to a message from Pastor Chris Starn, Senior Pastor at Living Faith in Yoder, Indiana. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. Father, we praise you because you are great. You are so worthy of our praise. There's no one and there's nothing on this earth that deserves more worship than you. Lord, forgive us when we place other things above you. When we place ourselves above you, Father. Lord, as we look at the book of Isaiah, we continue to listen to what he was telling the Israelites. And we we see, Lord, that it also was a message to us. I pray, Father, that you would open our hearts, that the Holy Spirit would speak to us in ways that we never could have imagined, that our eyes would see how awesome you are and how much you love us and you desire for us to repent. You desire for us to be with you. We praise you for your holiness and your grace. We pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Got your Bibles open to the book of Isaiah. We are in um, still in the first chapter. You know, there was a there was a movie that came out. Uh, it was in 2016, and it, it, it was it, it's it's got a great. Great message in it. It's called um, it's called Priceless. Has, has anybody seen it? Do you guys anybody seen Priceless? If you, I, I recommend you watch it. It was actually a project that was put together by um, the musical group for King and Country, and actually um, the main character is played by Luke, which is one of the brothers who was one of the lead singers for for King and Country. It is a great story of redemption. Joel Smallbone, who who plays the main character in the movie. Uh, he, it follows him, and his name is James Stevens. And his life is not exactly turning out the way he had hoped. His, his wife had passed away, and he has a child, and that child is taken away from him because he can't hold down a job, and he's got struggles. So what he does is he, he finds himself at the end of his ropes, doesn't know what to do, doesn't have a job, so he takes a job to drive a truck across the country. And along the way, just by happenstance, the back door gets unlocked, or he hears something in the back door, and he unlocks it, and he discovers that there are two Hispanic women in the back of the truck. And they are sold, they were sold into sex trafficking, and he is taking them to the person who bought them. And in the process, he is compelled to save these two women, who, number one, are unaware of the danger that they're in. And he's going to risk everything to save them. It's a great, great um, movie. We, we haven't allowed Caleb and Abigail to watch it yet just because of the, the topic. We've talked to them about it. Um, but it is, it is a clean movie. It's a good movie. I, I recommend that you, if you want a movie to watch, um, please get that one. It's a great movie to watch. It is a great story of redemption. See, see redemption is a beautiful thing. You know, when we, we see somebody whose life is, is, seems that it's at the bottom, 
where, where everything seems to be, they just can't handle it anymore. And they find Christ, and He redeems them. It's an amazing picture to see their life like a phoenix come out of the fire, and it changes their lives. I think sometimes, you know, I became a believer at a very young age, and sometimes I miss that. I miss that that moment where I accepted Christ and everything looked different to me. And I keep longing for that. I keep having to find that again by, by looking at his word and just having him open my heart more and more to who he is and what he says and what he's done and what he's doing and what he's going to do. And I get that same feeling. Because, see, the gospel story of redemption is a story of newness for those who believe in Jesus Christ. Now, a lot of stories that you see on, in movies about redemption, the, the, the thing about it is, is you don't, they don't actually talk about redemption like they do in Scripture because the redemption in Scripture is redemption that you can't do on your own. These women in Priceless could not save themselves. They needed somebody from the outside to come in and save them. And that's what the main character does. And that's what God does for us. You and I, as, as talented as we are, as wonderful as we all are, which I know we are, as wonderful as we all are, we cannot save ourselves. We need somebody from the outside to save us. And only God can properly and fully redeem us. But we've got to understand what redemption is. Well, obviously, redemption is how God saves us. And how God did this is God the Father paid a very personal price for our redemption. We as sinners, a price must be paid for our sin. And we're all sinners. And that sin has to be paid by a blood sacrifice. It's just the way it is, the way God had it to be. The problem is, is that I don't think even having a blood, even our blood's not enough to pay for the price of what we've done to God. It, it takes it takes something that is clean, something that is pure. If you if you if you go back and study the Old Testament and you study about in, in Leviticus, you know that the lamb had to be pure. There could not be any marks on the lamb. It must be it must be a very pure white lamb. We need something that's good enough. To redeem us. And the only one good enough to redeem us is God. So he came as Jesus. Remember in John 3, 16 and 17, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. See, you, you and I as sinners, we, we sin ourselves into bondage. Anybody who's dealt with an addiction knows what bondage to sin feels like. It's all you think about because it's like that ball and chain around your foot. You, every step you take, you know it's there. You could be in a crowd of people and, and, and it's still you still feel that addiction. I mean, we can we can try to cover it up. We make excuses for our sins. Oh, it's not that bad. But the 
problem is, every single time we do that, we only dig ourselves deeper into sin. See, we deserve hell. Now, we don't like to think about that. I mean, nobody likes to think that they're that bad, that they deserve hell, but we do. We deserve hell. And we daily do things to prove that we're guilty. Well, I don't do anything. Well, yeah, we do. We have thoughts. We have selfishness. We have things that we think. And then sometimes we actually act out our sins. We all do it. It's okay. It's not okay. It's okay. <laughs> you know, we're all in this together. None of us, I'm not pointing fingers at you, believe me. Pointing fingers at me. But the amazing thing is that God, by his grace, what he does is he offers to come in and offers to get us out of the trouble that we're in. When it comes to our sins. And what he does is he knows the price. And the price he's willing to pay. Without even batting an eye. He's willing to pay a high price for it. You know we were, we were on vacation. And, and I, I walk into the. We always like to buy t-shirts and so forth. From whenever we go someplace. And we walk in and we're at a ski resort. So you can imagine. And you're on the top of a mountain. So you can imagine what the prices were. And I looked at something and I'm like. No, I am not willing to pay that price. But see, God looks at us and says, oh, I'm willing to pay that price and more. He takes the penalty for our sins. He pays the price that we can't pay. That's what redemption is. He's redeeming us. And not only is he willing to pay the price, he's already paid the price. He paid the price on the cross. It's already been done. We can enter into redemption freely by his grace. We we don't have to we don't have to stand in line and wait for him to, you know, kaching, he's paid for that one. He, he did it all at once. He paid for all of our sins, past, present, future at one time. But what we must do is we must trust him for it. We must turn to him. We must walk with him. We must allow him to change our lives. We need to allow the Holy Spirit in. And we have a choice whether to do that. We can say yes and we can say no. We can enter redemption freely. You see, the redemption of God, it's our only hope. I always think of the... The scene from Star Wars when Princess Leia is looking at R2-T2. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. No, help me, God the Father, Yahweh, because you are our only hope. I, got, I think of the, the verse in, in, in the Old Testament. Some may trust in horses, some may trust in chariots, but I trust in the name of the Lord our God. He is our only hope. And he was the only hope during the time of Isaiah. The only hope for the people of Israel. You know, so far we've been walking through the the book of Isaiah so far in the first chapter. And and we've we've talked about conviction, how we're supposed to be convicted for our sins. We're talking about repentance last week, how we need to repent of our sins. And now we're going to experience redemption. And what we're going to see today is, is Isaiah begins, in, in the verses we're going to look at, he begins with the lament, a, a, a crying out. And he's going to ask, what have we become? What are we? 
And what does God do with people like us? I think that's a a question that each of us needs to answer. I know as I'm getting older, I'm 55 in a couple weeks. I'm thinking, what have I become? What am I? Who am I? And what is God going to do with me? I, I just, it's a question I ask. You know, we will see the, we're starting to going to see the corruption. We're going to see the corruption in Israel. And we're going to see how that relates to us. We're going to see God's redemption. At least we're going to see the re- promised redemption. Because we know that Israel does end up getting taken into captivity. Both the northern and the southern kingdom. By the time we're done here, we'll be gone full circle from faithful to fallen to back to faithful. That is what redemption is. So we must ask ourselves the important question. Will we choose? We've got a choice to make to enter into the redemptive ways of God. So let's go to the book of Isaiah. Begin with verse 21 of chapter 1. And I, and I want to warn you that this language is rather difficult and rather hard. But the what God uses for it, it's important that he use this type of language. He says, how faithful, how the faithful city, so they were faithful at one time, has become a whore. She who was full of justice. See, as, as believers in Christ, you and I are pledged to be married to Jesus. Simple as that. We are. When you accept Jesus Christ, when you believe in Jesus Christ, you trust him, you are now his bride. You are, you are waiting for the bridegroom. In Jewish tradition, the bridegroom would go away, build his house. Jesus says, I go to build a place for you. If, you know, and when I come again, you know, there I am, there you will be also. I'm thinking about it in the King James Version. But you understand that, that we are betrothed to God. We are supposed to stay pure to him. If, if we don't, then there must be a divorce. And many times in Scripture, God will bring up the idea of divorcing Israel because they have wandered away. They were his faithful children. They were his faithful bride. And what they now have done, they have sinned. They have turned from God. They've gone after other lovers. You and I are the church. We are the bride of Christ. He is going to come back for us. We need to remain pure. We need to stay dedicated to him. We're engaged to him. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul says, I wish you would bear with me a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. People today in our culture wonder why I as a pastor struggle with the idea of people who, have, who are not, people who are living together before they get married. It is a problem. And if I marry you and you're doing that, I tell you you have to live apart. Or at least you can't sleep in the same bedroom. Now, I, don't, I can't force anybody to do that, but I tell them why. It's because you've been betrothed to this person. You're not married yet. I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Anybody here experience that? 
We've all experienced it. We've all had Satan tell us things that, or our, our own hearts tell us things or the world tells us things that leads us down a path we shouldn't go down. See, Jesus' love for us is not just some platonic attachment. It's passionate. It's a passionate marital love where Jesus claims us as his own and his only. No one else, nothing else can take his place. In Ephesians 5, and 23, Paul calls us the bride of Christ. God, God is not flirting with us. But at times I'm afraid sometimes we flirt with him. Oh yeah, God, I, I'm going to follow you, and then we don't. Well, God, if you, you know, if, if if this happens, oh, I'll just, I'll dedicate myself to you fully. You're, you're just fooling him. You're flirting with him. He wants us to be fully committed to him, hundred percent, no one else. See, you and I should be longing for that day. When we are presented to him in all of our splendor. We are presented to him as his bride. But for now, when we seek after another, when we seek, and I'll just say it, after other lovers in this world, we are committing adultery against God. It's, it's heartbreaking when this happens. Verse, the end of verse 21, he says, Righteousness lodged in her, but now murders. See, this word righteousness has this idea, the righteousness lodged with her. It's this idea of a lonely traveler who's in hostile surroundings. You and I, you and I are, we're in hostile surroundings. The world is not kind to us. It's not going to just let us be forever. Sooner or later, we all are going to probably deal with persecution of some sort. We live in a hostile time, but righteousness lodged with her. In the past, righteousness was found in Israel. They were very righteous. They were following God. They were doing exactly what they're supposed to do. But the times have changed. They're more progressive. The neighborhood has gone bad. It used to be a good neighborhood. But because of unfaithfulness, it destroyed the bonds that holds us together. Unrighteousness is not just about our bond with God, but it's about our bond with each other. We've all become murderers. And sadly, since, since we're living in the midst of a deteriorated community, which for us is the world, and, and we, we sometimes we can't even realize that how bad things have gotten. You know, when you live in the midst of something, if you, if you're, if you move into your house and you have all the stuff that you, you bring with you and, and you put it someplace and it's a lot of stuff and, and you probably go and then 10 years later you look, why, why do we still have stuff in boxes? I mean, didn't we notice it two years ago, five years ago? Well, no, because you get used to it being there, right? The world, we get used to being in the world. We get used to the things around us in the world. We get so used to the sin that's happening around us and the sin that we're committing, we get comfortable with it. And we lose the righteousness, which is what happened to Israel. We don't realize how far we have fallen. 
God's going to tell us. In verse 22, he says, Your silver has become dross, your best wine mixed with water. Explain what this means. When you, when you take a precious metal like gold and silver, platinum, any of those very precious metals, what you have to do is there are always impurities in it. And what you have to do is you have to heat it up to extremely high temperature till it melts. And what happens is the dross will float to the top, and you have to skim off the dross. And what God has said here is, is your silver has become dross. It's no longer silver. We could, we could even correlate that to gold. Your gold is no longer silver. It's fool's gold. It looks like gold, but it's not gold. It's dross. It's garbage. See, when we allow sin into our lives, we're left with a deluded life. It's not pure anymore. Oh, sin promises promises us a good life. It promises to spice up our lives. You'll enjoy yourselves. It'll make it better. But the reality is that it becomes nothing more than dross. And what do they do with dross? They throw it away. And the wine mixed with water is hopelessly useless. Because it has no flavor. You know the story, the story of Jesus when he was in Cana at the wedding, and his, his mother asked him, to, because the, 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 when they have a wedding, it's like a seven-day celebration. It's a long party. And there's, they drink. They drink wine. It was common. Well, normally what would happen is you would begin with the good stuff, and by the end of the by the seventh day, you would give them the watered-down wine because you know they're so out of it that they're not going to they're not even going to realize that it's the bad wine. But when when Jesus made it, it was good. And the head of the party says, "Wow, this is amazing!" Because normally we bring out the bad wine, you're bringing out the good wine. They were impressed. I'm not even sure they even knew that what Jesus had done. And there's a whole believe me. Maybe I'll do a sermon on that soon too. Uh, the whole idea of the jars that he used to make the, to turn the water into wine were, were special jars. There's a whole interesting lesson with all that. But understand, wine that's mixed with water is useless. It's no good. It doesn't taste good. It's lost its flavor. It's going to be flo- thrown out. And see, this is what we we need to hear. This we need to hear about our condition. I don't like going to the doctor. Why? Because I don't like what he's going to tell me. You need to lose weight. Well, no, duh. I know it. I'm just trying to ignore it. Right? Sometimes we need to know the sad truth. The sad truth is that we are becoming dross if we don't stay committed to Christ. Israel had been had wandered from God, and they are now worshiping other idols. They are worshiping other gods. And they're dross. Those sins that we commit, they may seem enjoyable at first and exciting, but they lead us to an emptiness, and it never can be filled. In fact, it eats us out. Only God can intervene and turn our weeping into joy. Isaiah continues in verse 23. He says, Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. Doesn't that sound like today? A lot of our leaders are rebels 
thieves, companions of thieves. I've been doing a lot of studying on what's going on in the pharmaceutical industry and in our, in our country, and brothers and sisters, we are in trouble. As a society, we're in trouble. As believers, we're not. Keep going about your way and doing your stupid things because you're going to pay the price for it. God is going to have his justice. We talked about that last week. Don't think you can get away from God. Well, I don't believe in him. He's still there, whether you believe him or not. Our society is crumbling because of this. Today, you know, the gears of our society are lubricated with this concept of you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. Did you know that the pharmaceutical industry, and, and believe me, they're not the only one who's the bad guys. The pharmaceutical industry spends more in Washington, D.C. than the oil industry and the gas industry. Billions and billions of dollars are spent every year bribing our representatives to pass certain laws. And I could go deeper, but then if I put this on YouTube, they'll probably cancel our account. So we're going to stop there. If you want to talk to me more about it later, come and see me. We'll talk about it. But our gears, that's how you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You do this for me and I'll do that for you. You vote for my bill and I'll vote for your bill. doesn't matter what's in it. I'll just make sure I vote for it. You make sure this happens, we'll make sure you get a percentage of the profit. It's how things get accomplished in our world today. But the problem is, it ultimately gets out of control. And we begin to run roughshod over justice. We begin to ignore the poor. We begin to ignore the widow and the orphan. And those that have no power are the ones who get hurt the most. No matter what works, it's wrong. See, when we choose, when we choose expediency over justice, we're not judges. We become auctioneers. We begin to auction off. We give our devotion to the highest bidder. We cheapen ourselves and our reputation to get what we want or what we think we want. And this is why the helpless get trampled by the powerful. Let me just say this. Understand that there is, and I don't, I don't think it's as bad as some of the conspiracy theorists say, but there is a group of elitists in this world who wants nothing more to keep us under their thumb. And praise God, there are enough of us, I think, we could, we'll be able to stop it. But it is happening, trust me. And I don't think they are all evil, thinking that they're, you know, <laughs> we're going to do this. I think they think they're doing the right thing. They are deceived. Because what happens is, when they get to that point, I think a lot of people have no sense of who God really is. Because when the only people who matter in our lives are those who have power and who can get us what we want, then our lives are ultimately, it becomes savage. Our community along with it becomes savage. And it's no wonder that people couldn't care less about how people feel because they, don't care, they couldn't care less about how God feels. 
This is why we need to make sure we have a sense of who God is. Verse 24, this is what it says. says, Therefore the Lord declares, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel. Ah, I will get relief from my enemies and avenge myself on my foes. You know, we, we can try to remove God from our lives, but it won't matter. He's still going to get His justice. He will not go away. There's a Lord in heaven, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel. He cares deeply about those who have been offended. He cares deeply about those who have been hurt. People ask the question, well, well if God cares so much, then why doesn't He just stop it all? Because he's a God of grace. He allows things to happen. Why? Because he has a bigger plan. And no matter what, we need to turn to him because he's the only one who can fix everything that's wrong in this world. <laughs> we, we know this. Every, every human knows this at its base because think about this. If you study about the Antichrist, when he comes to power, people are going to think he's Jesus. They're going to think that he is the Christ who's returned because he's going to have the answer to everything. Why? Because God does have the answer to everything. The answer is him. That's why we, we need to know who God is so we won't be deceived by the people of the world who think they have all the answers. Because see, our, our great hope is the fact that God is committed to his cause. He's committed to the plan he's put in place. His plan was for us to be redeemed by Christ and for him to come back and for us to live with him forever. That is his plan. He's working it out. It's in the process. God will get relief from his enemies. They will not go unpunished. They're not going to escape. Nobody can escape the vengeance of God. That gives me some hope. You know, when Scripture says, you know, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Oh, I, I've told people, they look at me like, well, you're gonna, oh no, don't worry about what I can do, do to you. I know somebody who can do a whole heck of a lot more, and you should be scared of him. He's the one that you should be scared of. Not me. Now, our response to the accusations that have been thrown at us and that Isaiah throws at the Israelites and the resolve of God's vengeance in verse 24, we might be thinking, yeah, bring it on, God, right? Bring it on. You know, get them, get them, right? We want him to, we want it to happen. We want to see God's vengeance happen to our enemies. Give them what they deserve. But if you read on in chapter in chapter 1, 25 and 26, you'll find that's not what God does. Because what God is going to do, he's not going to follow up all this with annihilation. You know, that's what we want. You know, just, just smite them, God. What he's going to do is he's going to follow it up with redemption. Look at verse 25. He says, I will turn my hand against you. And will smelt away, which is mean I will burn away, because it's a smelter, that's what they call it. Smelt away your dross as with lye, and remove all of your alloy. Meaning I'll take all the metal out. I'll take the silver. And I will restore your judges as at first, and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful 
city. God has a pretty heavy-duty cleaning agent. Today we might not understand this idea of lye soap. How many of you remember your mother washing you with lye soap? You know why you get so clean with lye soap? Because it takes a one layer of skin off. You know, that's why. Lies a poison. It's dangerous. I, I, Beth and I were making some soap, and it's like all these warnings about the lie, the lie. I'm like, you know, people before, you know, they, they used lie all the time. Or borax is another thing they would always warn you about. They used it all the time. Just don't eat it. Yeah. You know, God, that's why, that's why God is using this idea of lie. I'm going to take lie. I'm going to clean you. God is able to, rely, to remove all of the deep stains. You know, when we were kids, you know, we had, I had permanently stained jeans that I wore. Why? Because I would gr- I'd play out in the dirt and I'd grind my knees into the dirt while I was playing. Not intentionally, just crawling around. Mom couldn't get them out. So I just wore them that way. But see, God has a lie, has a cleaner that's going to clean deep. It's going to clean them all out. He will make us through the refining fire. He remove the dross. He's going to restore us as the faithful city. But the Hebrew text does something really amazing here. This, this idea, the words, I will turn and I will restore that we saw in here, I will turn my hand against you and I will restore your judges. The reality is that in Hebrew, we, we translate, in English we translate those as two different verbs. I will, I, will, I, will, uh, I will turn and I will restore. The actual verb is the same verb in Hebrew. Restore and turn are used with the same verb. But how we, how we our English language works, we, we kind of separate them. But what Isaiah is saying here is that one God acting in one way is going to accomplish two things. He's going to, rest, he's going to, re, he's going to turn us, he's going to turn, and he's going to restore. See, when God disciplines us, it's not a disaster. When, when, when we're disciplined, that's why I, I, I try to get my kids to understand, I, I, when I get after you, it's not because I'm mad, well, I am mad, I'm mad at what you've done. I'm doing it because I'm trying to help you, lead you into a place you need to be. Mostly because I did the same things and my parents disciplined me. I won't tell them all the things I've done because I don't want them trying them. You know, while we're in the midst, while we're in the midst of being, being, you know, smelted and, and, and being the dross being poured out, it, it, it's difficult. It's hard. We go through tough times. But the reason why that is is because when we're in those, we do, we focus on ourselves. We don't focus on God. Poor me. I'm going through this. It's What did I do? Why I don't deserve this? On and on we tell ourselves. We argue with ourselves about why, why we're going through this trouble. Instead of looking at God and saying, okay, God, what are you doing? Teach me. You're teaching me something in this. Help me see it. But we won't see that until we focus on him. Because, see, when God disciplines us, he's restoring us. His discipline purifies us and restores us at the same time. We should expect the goodness of God to show up in very unlikely places. 
See, when we're in the midst of troubles and struggles, we need to thank God for his discipline and not allow our experiences to attempt to restore us because they won't or purify us. God is doing it. Not, not an easy thing to do, but it's the right thing. But it's not always easy. But a decision needs to be made. If we go to verse 27, it says, Zion shall be redeemed by justice, and those in her, in her who repent by righteousness. But rebels and sinners shall be broken together, and those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed. See, see, you and I are not redeemed by God because God has lowered his standard. God doesn't lower, our, lower the standard so that we can make it. The best example I can show you is the military. I think that a woman who can go through special, uh, special forces training deserves every right to be able to do it and be a special forces. But I don't think they should lower the standards so that she can get through it. Especially if she's going to be protecting our country. I want to know that she can really do her job as well as any man out there. Just like the men, they shouldn't lower the standards for men either. It should be difficult in those special situations. God does not lower his standards so as to be redeemed. He pays the price that's demanded by his justice and his righteousness. And at the cross, it was an extremely heavy price to pay. And God's justice and his righteousness was fulfilled by the cross, by Jesus being crucified on the cross. But it's not because God was lenient. In Titus 2, it says, Our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. You want to know if you are saved and if, if you, you know, if you're, if, if you're right with God, are you zealous for good works? Are you wanting to do good things? It's a good way to tell it. I don't, I don't, think, we can, I don't think we can fully understand the price that was paid by God. I don't think we can fully comprehend it. God took our, our moral guilt and, our, and, 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 the pla- and placed it all on Jesus. He placed all of our sin on him because he was the perfect substitute. And in doing so, God honored his own law. And what is our part in this? What do we need to do? We're told, those that repent. We've talked about repentance. What is repentance? Repenting is turning and going the other way. It's going to God and saying, God, I'm sorry for the sins I've committed. Help me to not do it again. And then continue to rest in him and ask him to help you every day to continue to live the life you're supposed to live. There's no way around repentance. There's no back door. There's no secret password that you can have that's going to get you in. Only repentance. Our only alternative is to be broken and consumed, burned up in the fire. The whole idea of putting the silver in and and heating it at the point where the dross rises at the top, Jesus takes it off and now we have pure silver. And this is the decision we have to make. Will we repent and be redeemed or are we going to rebel and be consumed? Verses 29 and 31. For they shall be ashamed 
of the oaks that they desire that you desired, and you shall blush for the gardens that you have chosen. They're going after other things. For you shall be like an oak whose leaf withers, and like a garden without water. And the strong shall become tender, and his work a spark, and both of them shall burn together with none to quench them. See, what God is doing here, he's pressing a point. We might think that our decisions, our attitudes, our thoughts, our feelings don't make really that much of a difference in the big scheme of things. But God is saying, yes, they do. Because every moment of your life matters. Our choices have lasting repercussions. This is why he's confronting us with the truth. If we keep our eyes and our lives on earthly things, in the end, we're going to end up with nothing. This, this idea of oaks and gardens are metaphors for human strength, potential and preference. Our own brilliance and our own desires will be the death of us. But see, when we repent, our lives get opened up to the ways of God. And he redeems us. It's through the weakness of repentance that we truly experience the great power of redemption. Conviction, repentance, and redemption are the way to salvation. Now the world's not going to accept this. Many churches won't teach it, but it is God's way. And it is a good way because we have a Redeemer. Whatever gets us closer to God is a good thing. So where are we? Now we may be close to God, or we may have been close to God at one time, and we find ourselves not really, you know, not really feeling that close to Him. We may have lost our purity, done things that have marred us. We may not even have accepted Him originally. We don't believe in Him. We don't trust Him. But see, we have a Redeemer who can restore us and restore our purity. We need to go to Him and reason with Him honestly about our real problems. He's not going to magically take them away, but he's going to save us from them all. He's going to help us walk through them and he'll help us see how he is purifying us. What we need to do is we need to lean into God and he'll lean into us. See, that was the whole point. That was the whole point of the Passover. The Israelites couldn't save themselves. So God had to come and he had to save them from Pharaoh. In the same way, you and I can't save ourselves. We needed Christ to come and save us. And that's what we celebrate with communion. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're watching on YouTube, please like this video as it will help in spreading this message into the global online community. Please consider subscribing to our page so that you will receive notices when we post new messages. If you're watching this on Rumble, please hit the Rumble button for this video so that the gospel can be spread into the Rumble community. Also, consider subscribing to our Rumble channel. You can also listen to our podcast on Amazon Music and Apple Podcasts. We hope you have a blessed day.